Hello and welcome to the Thriving Families podcast. I'm Anna and this is the podcast which aims to provide a safe and non-judgmental space for us to be able to talk about children and young people with additional support needs. Thriving Families and I are based in the Highlands of Scotland and we're hoping to connect people to support us in feeling less isolated and being able to recognise that you're not the only one. Hey everyone, nice to be back. Thanks for listening with us today. Now, the theme of today's podcast is actually something that's been asked for. It's something that someone's requested. Um, and it, it's really great when that happens because, one, to me, it shows some people are listening. <laughs> and, two, it's nice to kind of get your teeth into um, a subject or a topic that is really relevant to our service users here at Thriving Families. Now, the request has come because we, you know, we deal with a lot of phone calls, a lot of people calling in, and it's both families and professionals and there seems to be this running theme of when we see big differences between how a child or a young person presents at school and how they present at home. So this topic in this chat today is based upon those differences between school and home for a child with an additional support need and why there might be drastic differences in how they present in these two different environmental spaces. Now, in doing this talk today, I was asked to do it um, very much using my professional knowledge. Okay, so I am, you know, I've said it before, but yeah, I was a teacher, high school teacher for 16 years. Um, I have a master's in inclusive practice and I went and studied additional qualifications to become um, more, more of an expert in additional support needs because that was really a big area of interest. But I really wanted to feel upskilled in that area. I felt it was necessary so that I could be confident in working with children with additional support needs and, and be inclusive. Um, but I am also a children's therapist. Um, I've gone back to university again and did postgraduate um, certificate and diploma in play therapy. So, you know, I work with children creatively for social and emotional needs and many of these children have additional support needs. Um, so that work I do is a form of psychotherapy with children. So my experience professionally means I have this kind of holistic overview, both as a teacher and a visiting professional in schools. And so what I hope to do today is to widen people's perspective on understanding the kind of disparity between home and school and how that we all need to look more holistically at a child and take away the blame game. Because usually if we are seeing a difference between school and home and if one of those sides is being seen as more negative, then sometimes there's blame being put upon that. Okay, and I really want that to go. I want people to recognise that if there is, you know, if there is a reason or if there's a challenge or a difficulty with a young person's um, presentation, there's a reason for it. And what we need to do is work together and stop this blaming um, of each other and work together to solve this problem. And so just open our eyes to what the bigger picture is. So I have to say that most of the calls that we have received or the discussions are more commonly what we see is when there is a child appears to be doing okay at school. Yeah, they're, they're kind of going around okay. But when they come home from school, we are seeing a lot more challenging behavior. And sometimes, you know, it can be like, really? So as a parent, you feel like, you know, parents are going to um, a meeting and sometimes, you know, really, we don't see that at all at school. How is that possible? There must be a problem at home. And I suppose what I'm trying to say is we get a lot of parents who feel very guilty, who are very upset, 
who feel like, are they doing something wrong? And I'm here to tell you that if you're a parent and there is a challenge at home, but school seems to be okay, there's not, you're not doing anything wrong, yeah? What you're doing is is simply being the parent and providing that home environment. And what is happening is there is a reaction at home. Yeah, so I want to be very clear that, that it's not somebody's fault if a child comes home and releases everything from their day. And it's, it's actually it's actually showing that there's a lot of safety at home. And so we want to talk through that a bit more. So if you think about it, if we have a child or a young person with additional support needs who has gone along in their school day and appears to be okay in school most days, um, and then that child is coming home and we are seeing possibly, you know, aggression, screaming, smashing, throwing, and we might see these quite loud behaviours, but we also might see the very, very quiet withdrawal, isolation, um, fear. We might start to see things like self-harm, um, you know, negative talking, you know, all of these sorts of things that we might be seeing at home, but at school it doesn't appear like that. Now, as a parent and as a carer at home, you're instinctively worried you're very concerned and you might be thinking what what's going on what can I do and school might be thinking oh but it's all okay here yeah what I'm saying is this is actually quite a common situation where we have this massive disparity between school and home so a parent and a carer's you know main priority when your child is at home isn't it you know as a parent is to make sure they're safe to make sure they know they're loved to make sure they have their needs met and so home is a safe space yeah and so when our child comes home from school they're expressing what they need to express at that moment now you know and usually it's because they know home is that safe space and unconditional love and unconditional acceptance means that no matter what they do at home they can just do what they need to do and sometimes that's really challenging to deal with but if your child is doing this it's because they know that you're not going to reject them yeah, they know that they're safe and they're home there and that is your safe space. Now, if there's a, a, you know, a lot of foster carers and a lot of adoptive parents may see this a lot more with their children because when a child has suffered from trauma, this is something that we see quite often as well. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. I want to say for a practice, I'm just going to go back to when they come home from school and if we are in this very anxious and high state, um, that for a parent and care, you know, you just need to think about what, how do we need home to be when they arrive home? So maybe that they need a really super quiet space, that they need a snack and just some time alone to process the day. For some kids, this may be that they need a kind of hideaway, like a little tent or a hammock or a den area. And um, for some kids, this might be kind of, you know, it's kind of this, do you need a lot of sensory input or do you need very calming, you know, very, you know, let's let's keep it very quiet. Do we need white noise? Do we need a, a, a chill out space? Um, is music helpful? Um, using things like bubbles or particular lights might be really helpful for some people and that kind of traditional sensory space. So it is about what do you need? You know, you might need a lot of high input. So, you know, it might be like being able to run around, a trampoline, a punch bag, um, carrying heavy things, bouncing on a big yoga ball, a punch bag, swinging, swimming. You know, sometimes it's whatever. Every child is different, aren't they? Every child and young person is different. And as the parent, you'll know your child and you'll know sometimes what those things are that they need to do to, to be able to express themselves, to get out all these anxieties from the day. So, and, and it's normal, isn't it? We all need to let things out and 
And if we think about how we do it, you know, we just need to be aware that a young person with additional support needs might need some support in finding a healthy way to do that. You know, so, you know, for instance, as a neurotypical person, maybe I like to drive home from work and blast music really loud and just like sing it out. Yeah, sing out my frustrations of the day through singing along to drive time. Yeah. Um, other days, I think I might want to just come home and get under my duvet and talk to nobody. You know, so our reactions can differ on a day to day circumstances and we can go through phases where we are feeling different things. And so we react in different ways. But I know that's good for me. Yeah, so if we, I, as an adult, as a grown-up, you know, I'm in my 40s and I've I've learned now that these are the things I can do when I'm feeling anxious or stressed. As a parent and a carer, we need to help find what it is for our child. That's the best way for them to do that. So that those kind of aggressive, screaming, smashing, throwing behaviours that might be causing harm to a child or a young person themselves, but also causing harm to your family, yeah, we need to know how we can help them find a healthier and a safer way to be able to to cope, to be able to, you know, transfer that energy into something that they will actually find helpful for them. So if I just want to remember that a reaction like coming home after a busy day at school is, is very much human, you know. So for many people who are neurodiverse or people who have suffered trauma, um, home is the safe space. And it might be what they feel is the only safe space. And so that is the place where they can really open up and express themselves. And I think most of us would really hope for a child or a young person that home is that space. You know, that's the space where you can release every emotion and it can look however it needs to look. You know, we all know what it's looked like if we, we're really, really, you know, upset or something that happens, you know, snots and tears. It's it's not joyous to watch me sob. Um, it's not attractive either, but it doesn't matter because, you know, if I'm here and I'm doing that in my house, I know that I'm safe. I know that my family love me. I know that I can come back 10 minutes later and, you know, we just got on with our day because they're my family and they accept me for who we are. So if there is aggression and they're screaming, you know, and we're never going to be able to stop that. We're all humans, aren't we? We all lose it, if you want to call it that, sometimes. You know, it doesn't mean that there's bad parenting. It doesn't mean that there's real big issues at home. What it means is there's something really upsetting and unsettling for that individual that's creating such a level of anxiety that at the moment, this is the only way they can express it. And it's a reaction to something. Yeah, and it, that might be a reaction to something that's happened earlier in the day, that's been happening recently in the past few weeks. It might be a reaction to something that was a traumatic event in their, in their history. The idea is that we need to find out what that is. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that the problem is where we are. Okay, so if that child is coping at school and seems very quiet and polite and going along, you know, it's not necessarily that everything is perfect for them there. Yeah, it might be that they're just kind of holding on to it. And, and we'll talk about that in a wee while. So let's think about how school essentially differs from home. So schools tend to be very structured, organized, and um, they tend to um, include lots of kind of rules, don't they? And figures of authority. Um, and you know, many and um, most people probably would conform to an organisation like a school as an adult, it's a bit like going to work, isn't it? If you go in and you know the routine and what you do and from being in primary school, there's a peg you hang your coat upon, you go to your name, there's a time when you have a break, you know, it's, it's all that structured and 
but just because it might feel easy to follow structures and rules yeah doesn't necessarily mean it feels right okay and that's what we need to remember is how it might impact the feeling of things now let's try and think about this and you know understanding why somebody might appear very calm and like they're coping when actually maybe inside they're not so i want to parallel this to um things we can all think about so think about when we're in a really stressful situation and how if you're in a very stressful situation everybody can react very differently yeah so we might have someone who's quite hysterical and very distraught and crying but we might get someone who's essentially appears to be frozen in shock yeah so there's these very big extremes now someone in a medical emergency may appear very calm because they might just go through their motions but it doesn't mean that they're not being impacted yeah so let's think about like someone who's a paramedic they turn up to an accident they calmly assess the situation they make the situation safe they treat the patient they do their job they're trained yeah so they're trained to do this you know but um it doesn't mean that it's not going to have an emotional impact yeah and most people who work in jobs that are in a highly stressful situation they will find ways of coping with that you know, they might have well-being programs that they're involved in. They might have kind of supervision of people that they can speak to afterwards. You know, you know, there's a way in which to do this. When we work in these highly stressful and emotional situations, we know that we need to find a way to process that. And we would expect that, wouldn't we, from maybe a paramedic doing that job? Yeah. So for let's think this back to then a neurodivergent child or a young person who um may appear very calm at school because they're going through the motions yeah they're going through what's expected of them they know this is what they're meant to do so to school it may appear that someone's coping and they appear very content but actually they're going through the motions and they're holding it together yeah they're holding it together to go through all the things they need they know they have to do to get through the day yeah and you know imagine and see that you know the emotional impact it has on themselves and once they get into that safe environment so you know we hold it all together at work we come home we let it out by ranting or having a gym session and whatever it is but actually it can really build up this doesn't it if we are working in an environment where we feel frustrated or there's things which we find quite difficult yeah um it eventually builds up you know, I was working in education for 16 years and there was always niggles and frustrations and things that, you know, that I found very challenging to work with. Um, and it impacted my life in a way that actually I decided I needed to change my career. Yeah, so I did that as a history teacher. I think I felt like um, I needed to change to have more experience and additional support needs because that's where I saw a need in the school I got that knowledge and then I realized that oh actually there's this you know we we react to different things happening in our life so a young person is constantly reacting within school yeah so the routine of school may be allowing them to cope because there's all these very clear boundaries and things they have to do but the emotional impact of physically holding together and emotionally holding it together um, is actually really exhausting. And this is where, you know, what, what we recognise as masking. Yeah, now it's commonly used to describe how um, an autistic person is kind of hiding their true self to better fit in. Yeah, so we say we might, we might mask in different environments. Now, many humans will mask to some extent. But what I want you to think about is how an autistic person 
or a person with um, a neurodivergent, neurodivergence or someone who suffered from trauma, so many children with additional support needs, may be masking so much in who they are to try and conform to a world that, you know, seems quite confusing to them, that it starts to, to hurt themselves, yeah? It's starting to, to damage their social and emotional well-being because they're constantly doing this, yeah? If you can't be your true self, if you can't do the things which make you feel safe, they make you feel content and they make you feel happy because you're masking so much, it, it really, really has a long-term impact on your emotional and health, your social and emotional well-being. So for example, um, stimming. So, um, you know, lots of neurodivergent people might have some sort of stim that they might do. And because they're masking, they don't do that. Yeah, so they, they stop that stim because they're, oh, I need to fit in. I need to conform. I need to sleep within these boundaries. Everybody doesn't do that. That's not part of what we do. But actually that stimming is something that's emotionally regulating more than likely for that person. Okay, so what it does is by stopping the stim, by masking the behavior, what we're doing is massively increasing that anxiety of that person. And actually, some people might not realise how much they are even masking themselves because it's become such a part of their lives that they just do it. Because that's what you have to do, isn't it? That's how I need to appear because that's what everybody else does. So it has a massive impact sometimes without someone really even knowing. And I think everybody who's supporting a child or a young person needs to try and have that holistic view. So, you know, we know our young person, you know your child. If you can see that they're really holding themselves back, you know, we want our child to love themselves for who they are, to feel accepted for who they are. And if we can see that they're not really doing that, we need to try and support them to work out what's going on. A way to think about this is imagine, you know, your first day of school, what it's like, or the first day of a new job or an interview or joining a new social group or something like that. You know, we all want to put on a good impression, don't we? We put on our best outfit, we smile, we might use our posh telephone voice, you know, when we go and speak to people. Maybe that's just me. I don't think I do it in person. <laughs> but, you know, imagine when it's like you hold it all together, you've got, you know, that really nice outfit on, you're, you're doing everything the way you think you should do it because you're trying to people please, yeah? And then you're absolutely exhausted afterwards, aren't you? You're exhausted after holding it together in an interview, saying all these things, doing all of that. Yeah, it's absolutely exhausting. I think we can all think of something that we've done where we've kind of put on that big first impression. Now, that is masking, yeah? So imagine that you're doing that every single day. So a massive proportion of your day, every single day, you are doing that. You're holding it together because this is what you think you need to do. Yeah, so if a young person is masking at school just so that they fit in and they look like they're coping and they don't want to cause any issues, then no wonder when they come home they're physically and emotionally exhausted. Yeah, what we need is that they're accepted to be themselves at school. You know, maybe that won't make them look like this quiet, perfect, conforming child, but actually maybe it'll make them be themselves. Yeah, and, and you know, that is inclusion. When somebody is accepted for who they are and can be themselves within that environment, then that's when they can start to thrive and not just survive. 
So we need to have this kind of understanding, don't we, about any other environment that our children may be in. There needs to be some flexibility, there might need to be some adaptions. So this may need to happen in an educational environment. And having that holistic understanding of our child and young person's needs means that we can kind of see what, what that needs to be. And we're going to need to take advice and support and ideas from the young person, but also from those people that best know them and maybe ideas and support from other professionals as well. So if you have, you know, if your child or young person has an additional support need or then you're a diverse, we need to be able to tell them and for them to understand that they're allowed to be themselves. You know, and no one's saying that school structure, school rules, etc. it needs to disappear. But we're just saying that everybody needs to be accepted within that structure. So there might need to be strategies or adjustments that need to take place to ensure that we have equity of access to education. Yeah, and, and we're not saying that these need to be really dramatic. The adjustments might be very small and it might not need a huge amount of, you know, actual interaction from another human but there might be just small things that can change so allowing a young person to maybe have um, a, a rest period in a day or have a late or an early departure from school or from classes for example at busy times um, being able to keep one headphone in yeah just so that there's some background of noise it can be very regulating for a young person um, a designated safe space a key adult a particular piece of clothing, um, a special type of seat, um, a communication card, uh, a snack at a different time. You know, there are really there are little things that, that can make a massive difference to a young person that don't have to be very visual. They don't mean that the person needs to have somebody with them all the time, but just small things that allow that to happen. You know, being able to, you know, wear a particular type of bracelet or a necklace, you know, maybe it's a um, my son likes to have something, a chew, like a chew necklace or a chew bracelet, and he doesn't even have it on him, but it's in his bag, so if he needs it, he can have it. Yeah, and, and this isn't anything that's going to cost money to the school or anything that's going to pull on other resources, but they're just small adjustments that can make a massive difference. And the impact might not be visually seen in school, because maybe it's just seen as, oh, that person's still coping, so they're okay. But actually, there might be a massive impact seen at home. Yeah. So, you know, let's try to think about, you know, what are the, the little things in your life that make it a little bit easier to get you through the day and to get you through tough times? You know, for me, it might be a cup of tea, a moment of fresh air, looking at photographs of my friends and family, um, music, massive thing for me, and um, having a creative outlet, you know, and it doesn't need to be a long time. You know, it can be like something to just do for 10 minutes. Like I just need to do something for 10 minutes and then I can move back to what I'm doing because I'm not coping. Yeah, so, you know, additional support does not mean dramatic changes or huge demands. What it means is let's look at the big picture. In the name of inclusion, let's look at the things that we might need to alter to be able to have a bigger impact on their whole lives. So a response that I can imagine having when I'm thinking about this is, well, you know, if young people's homes can also be quite structured so is it that that's triggering things or not but you know yes there are homes where we have visual timetables and daily routines and strong boundaries because we know that might be helpful so for some children it's very helpful to have strong boundaries but it is always very different to school structure isn't it because you're at home and you know you're just being the parental carer to your child yeah you don't have lots of other children around you and you can you know, you're doing the equivalent of differentiation 
all the time with everything you do with every word you speak to your child with every action that you do and you can do that because you're a you're at home and we're not in school so home is acknowledged as a safe space you know that's the space where the child can can be who they are they are surrounded by that unconditional love and most families instigate a really predictable routine and boundaries to kind of support their children's needs you know and they adapt all the time in, in every little moment and we know that schools can't function the same way it's not home yeah and most parents and carers totally get this so what they want to do is be part of that communication to support school or whatever educational environment you're in in thinking a little bit out the box about how to ensure we have a very collaborative approach to best supporting the needs of that child so that they are thriving both in school and at home yeah because if you're surviving in one that's not thriving in life is it now i know from personal experience how it feels to be on both sides of this collaboration you know as a professional within school trying to think of the little adjustments within the constraints of school yeah the budget constraints the staffing constraints the environmental constraints but there are ways in which around it and it might take a little bit of trial and error but also as a parent of a child who needs support in school, yeah? And then also as a visiting therapist that sometimes has to do different things with the holistic picture. So what we need is everybody who's part of a child support network to try to understand both the child's perspective but also the other partners and take away this feeling that we might be making somebody else feel guilty. Yeah, we can all get very shoehorned into our own role, can't we? And we want to recognise, we want to feel like we're doing the right thing and we want to get it right for every child. But sometimes we have to realise that um, by talking about our role and thinking that we're doing a great job means that actually even unconsciously sometimes we're, we're passing blame onto somebody else. And we need to make sure that this concept of blame does not exist because at the end of the day, you know, everybody's on the same side. Everybody wants this child to be able to thrive in their whole life, not just exist in some environments and survive. Yeah. So there is no blame and there is no fault when a child is struggling in some aspect. Yeah. What we need is to listen to each other and to be able to recognise what's going well, what's not going well and why it's not going well in the big picture and how we can best support each other to try and recognise that. And, and if there's disparity between school and home, then there's a reason for it, yeah? So please, if you're listening as an educational professional, no, it's not because, you know, for everything, we never get everything right in a school environment. I'm saying that as a teacher, I never got everything right. And as a parent, I don't get everything right at home, yeah? But we need to recognise that things in school can be huge antecedents to actions at home and the other way around, yeah? So as a teacher, um, I was always really appreciative to know if a young person had had a challenging morning, you know, so if they had, you know, for example, slept in late and so hadn't managed to have any breakfast, then it's really important to make sure they, they have had some breakfast. Or if there was a parent working away or a sick um, family member, it's really helpful, isn't it? And we kind of recognise that, oh, yeah, because we, we need to just, you know, keep a wee eye for them. So we need to be doing it the other way around as well. Yeah parents and carers at home need to know if there's something going on at school as well and and so we need to be able to see both of those pictures to see how to best support support the child or young person in their whole way you know because the easiest thing would be wouldn't it if that child or young person could just tell us 
this is how I feel at school, this is how I feel at home, this is why I'm behaving in this way in whatever environment. But let's be honest, we all know that emotional literacy for a child or a young person with um, without an additional support need can be a challenge. It can be a challenge for an adult without an additional support need. So adding that additional support need in, yeah, means that, you know, we need to find a way to allow that person to communicate what's going on for them, for that child and young person to know. You know, most young people with additional support need are very, you know, become very attuned to say you know recognizing what they think will give them the easiest life and i think as young people become you know as they're into high school and they become teenagers you know most people a lot of children young people just want that easy life they don't want to cause a commotion they don't want to be seen as causing a problem now young people who have suffered trauma are very very much a lot of the time are people pleasers and so we really need to make sure that we work hard to try and gain that child or young person's voice. And it might need that we need intervention from somebody like a therapist to be able to find them an opportunity. And if they're not able to speak, then we need to, you know, go down that creative means, find a way for them to be able to do that. That might be not verbally, you know, for a lot of, for a child with an additional support need who has a different way of communication, then we need to find somebody who can help them best do that to handle that situation. So it is all about making sure we can find a way for them to express themselves so that then we can use that information to best kind of put together a package of support that's really going to help that child or young person no matter where they are. Yeah, because if you're a people pleaser, then you're going to nod and say the things that you think they want them to hear. Yes, yeah, school's all good, because if you say school's not good, then something might change and then you might not be able to cope at all. Yeah. So if we ask, are we really listening? Are we really hearing what they say? You know, if a child says that, you know, we're all really bad at it as adults, aren't we? How are you doing? Yep, I'm fine. We're all very good at saying we're fine when quite often we're not. So let's really think, are we really listening to that child or young person? If they appear to be coping at school, it might not be exactly what we're really seeing. And as a parent, we might see that in that same way at home, might we? We might, might feel like them um, are that they're coping, but they're not thriving. And it is this kind of aspect to want to be people pleasing. And again, as I said, children with trauma do this quite a lot because it's the fear of losing it. Well, if I say that our things aren't going well, then maybe I'll be sent away or maybe this is going to break down. And a lot of this is unconscious feelings. Yeah, this, you know, they're going to push the boundaries to really test. Is this real? It's probably going to collapse anyway. So I'm going to push every boundary. I'm going to kick. I'm going to scream. I'm going to say hateful words because it's self-sabotage. Yeah, because there's this fear of being here, this fear of being let down when a child has suffered trauma. And so they sometimes will feel like they might as well just end it now because if it's just going to go on for longer, yeah, if this happy home situation is just going to go on for longer, but it's going to break down anyway, that's going to cause me more harm. So this kind of self-sabotage um, in, in what should be a safe and happy environment might happen because they're so scared of the breakdown. Yeah, and so as parents and carers, you become attuned to it. You know your child. You know that actually they just don't know how else to accept that. And all we can do is provide that unconditional love. And that is what home is. And that is why we might see this disparity of behaviour, isn't it? Because at school they need to conform because otherwise there might be a problem and things might change. But at home, I can, I can let it out because, you know, hopefully... 
most children recognise that home is that place of unconditional love and they will be okay, they will still be accepted and they will still be loved. So I have no idea how long have we been chatting for, I'm not really sure, um, but hopefully you, you get the idea of what I'm trying to say. I think it's so important that there is not this blame game when we have collaborative working because that's what is going to best meet the needs of a child and young person. But it's really common to have such different behaviours. You know, it's really common. We all know what it's like for a child who's maybe a little bit shy at school, but then they come home and they're all chatty and buzzing, yeah? Because it's a different environment and we're humans and we change to our environment. That doesn't mean that it's someone's doing something wrong in each of those environments. What it needs is we just need to be a little bit patient and best support that child or young person to meet their needs holistically. And if that child has an additional support need, it can be a little bit more complicated. And so we need to work together and put our heads together without any blame for anyone. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you can find us at www.thrivingfamilies.org.uk. And you can also follow us and find out any updates on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.